We're live. Welcome to the Nick and Matt Show. Bringing the player interviews you want to hear and the hot topics you want to discuss. Recording live in studio. Here's Nick and Matt. What's going on, everybody? Episode 116 tonight brought to you on this fabulous Monday night. This episode is brought to you by CosmicDG.com. Sorry for the little bit of a delayed start. We were messing around with some stuff while Matt is not here. And then for some odd reason, one of the microphones just stopped working altogether. So anyways, we're back. We're live in action. Evan is at his place. I'm actually live in studio tonight. I don't have a green screen behind me. I'm actually in Massachusetts currently. And then Evan over here, or excuse me, intern Ben over on my left is also live with us, but his camera Ooh. is being a little funky, but you'll be able to hear him on the microphone. Uh, no guests tonight. We're actually doing more of a low-key episode since Matt isn't here, um, and everyone's been, it's been a busy week, but it also hasn't been a super chaotic week in the disc golf world, so there's not too, too much to really bring about, but we have some fun topics to talk about tonight. Breakout player of the year, who I'd like to say, who kind of flopped this year, especially like sponsorship-wise, who was a big pickup, but then ended up just not having a great year on the MPO side and the FPO side. We'll potentially talk about some awesome island holes that we see throughout the year, and then uh, just kind of off-season talk you know not really too too much but here we are hanging out this beautiful monday night once again brought to you by cosmic dg so evan what do you want to talk about first you want to talk about the breakout players because i know that was one of the subjects that you ended up bringing up oh yeah let's go into that and first off hope everyone had a wonderful thanksgiving uh a great holiday with friends and family and football i mean we had incredible football games maybe not so much the pats uh but great holiday, and we were back to it, and today was like the Mondayest of all Mondays. Uh, but we are live, uh, <laughs> and uh, let's get into it. Um, breakout players. I mean, this is pretty exciting. Um, you always want to be the one who calls it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you say like someone's name, we, we get so excited about if we say someone's name who goes on to have a good finish at any one event. Mm-hmm. But if you say a name that's going to do good next season, and you're right, like you look like a genius. Mm-hmm. So uh, you you want me to start it off? Yeah, go and, for it and share a we'll few. Bring names. it up and then okay. I'll debate you on everything. <laughs> oh, okay, kidding. yeah, there we go. Uh, so yeah, kind of what we're looking at is any player that finished outside the top fifty in the Disc Golf Pro Tour standings for the twenty twenty two season, uh, and how they're looking for the twenty twenty two twenty twenty three season. Um, the first name I'm going to say because he's leading. Uh, in MPO for the 2022-23 season is Luke Sampson. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year he finished 56, and of course, you know it's he's leading after the Silver Series or the sorry the Silver events. I'm not going on record to say I think he'll be finishing first after the season's over. Uh, by the time we get to next year's Tour Championship, uh, but I do think he's he's off to a great start and will have a good season next year and definitely move up some positions uh but that being luke sampson of course mm-hmm. um you know phenomenal player and just it, it feels like you just hear about him and then you hear about him more and more and then he just goes on to do phenomenal at these early silver events mm-hmm. no luke is definitely someone who just constantly grinds out on the road and then picked up by cast the plast i think going into last year's season um and so big new sponsorship for him he travels around in an rv i think with a couple people um, but had just a dominant showing over at the Lake Marshall Open and then played pretty well over at the uh, the New World Championships. So someone who I think could make a push at some elite events. I don't, you know, I can kind of, I think I could go on the record to say I don't think he'll win an elite series event next year. But at the same time, I think a couple top 10 finishes in there for him 
are well within reason. And I think potentially another silver event for him going into the schedule next year uh, for whatever that looks like, depending on where players are playing at the time. But Luke, definitely a huge one. Definitely a huge one. Do you have any more? Yeah, I'll, I'll hit two more. And then if you got any to go for it. Uh, but Kevin Kiefer, mm-hmm. um, he was, you know, this year is in a sense already his breakout year. You know, he, I think this was his first year on tour. Um, he went kind of from a local guy to playing all these, you know, national events on the disc golf pro tour, um, had some quality finishes, got on some coverage. I, I don't, I don't think he had any splashy finish, mm-hmm. um, where, you know, really, really, you know, staked his name in there. But I think that's what next season will be is he'll, he'll have, I think a couple really notable finishes, whether it's a top 10 or just getting on sustained lead card, even if he finishes maybe in the top 20, but outside the top 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last one I'll say for the, is Jakob Semerad. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of a, you know, you know, it's a, yeah. a little bit of a cheat shot. You know, he's finished 72nd uh, last year, mm-hmm. uh, but it's only because he played so many events. Um, you know, he didn't play any pro tour events until Sula over in Europe before playing um, a few of the end of the year events in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's dependent on, you know, I don't know his tour schedule for next year, but let's say he's planning on being in the US for uh, more time than he was last year. You know, it's pretty clear he's going to move up just like we saw um, Europeans in the past do. They're ready once they make the jump over. Mm-hmm. They're going to have some good finishes. Yeah, I think speaking of the European players, I mean, we definitely saw some domination on the FPO side from the European players who we talk about all the time. Um, but on the MPO side, it actually, I think, towards the start of the year, it took a little bit for them, I think, to kind of gain traction here in the U.S. But then towards the end of the year, we really did start seeing some incredible finish. Had the pleasure of playing with a bunch of them throughout on the road this year. Um, but, I mean, I talk about Nicolas Santilla, you know, having a great finish over at the USCGC. Um, just a ton of their players really picked it up towards the end of the year, which I think now that they've seen a majority of the events, if they're coming back to those same ones going to next year, I think we're definitely going to see some great finishes um, on the MPO side from the European players as well. Like I said, now that they've gained a little traction here and they, I think, got an idea of how the tour really works around here. I think it's a little bit busier than it is out, you know, across the pond, but I could be mistaken. But yeah, definitely, he was a great one. Um, the Some of the players that I'm thinking of, I mean, Kevin Kiefer, I know he had a great year this year. I don't really know him too, too well. I don't really know too, too much about him. But I mean, just kind of talking about players who we didn't know last year or they didn't play many events last year, but then had just an incredible season this year, just like the Chandler Kramers, you know, players like that, uh, Jake Kiebenheimer just had awesome 2022 seasons. And I think definitely ones that they'll, they'll remember and, you know, they want to advance on going into next year. Um, but I think there's definitely got to be a couple more. I'll throw out one more name. Uh, people will know his name. Of course he was on this show, but Robert Burridge mm-hmm. uh, finished 76th. You know, it, it's an interesting one because I think he is definitely a good enough player as we saw at Des Moines. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, going toe to toe with Simon and almost having an elite win, like you can't go understated there. Um, you know, it's number of events that are important and what his plan is. Um, but also outside of Des Moines, you know, we didn't hear a ton about him, mm-hmm. uh, especially since how surprising it was when he did go off at Des Moines. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that'd be an interesting one to see. It, it's one where we recognize his name now, but can he live up to this, you know, one time fame that he had and make it a sustained uh, fame? Yeah. Or will it still just be? you know, the fun thing that we, we talk about in years past being, Oh, remember that guy, Robert Burge and really put on a show mm-hmm. that one weekend. I think he's more than just, you know, a one weekend name, 
uh, but we'll see. No, definitely. I think he was also still finishing up college. I remember talking to him up at GMC and he was talking about how he had just finished some classes and then had driven all the way there, flew there or something like that. I think he drove actually. And uh, so, I mean, a lot of these young players are still finishing up their college years and still being able to go out. I mean, he almost took down an elite series event in a playoff against Simon. So, I mean, it would have been definitely something incredible to put on the resume, but um, yeah, rubber Burge, I know he didn't have too, too much like of a talkative season towards the end of it. There wasn't really too, too much to talk about, but I think just, I mean, second place at any event is, you know, a tier and above is a pretty awesome thing. Yeah. And I'm, I'm getting too excited looking through these names too. Cause I had a couple that I, I wanted to get at now mm-hmm. that I'm looking at a few more. I'm like Randon Lada. Mm-hmm. He really made a name for himself towards the end of the last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jake Mon at USTGC. Yep. Uh, I, well, he was leading at one point, right? Or yeah. was he just on Lee card? He was yep. I, yeah, leading. That's insane. Uh, and then also Ezra Robinson, um, you know, maybe just following in the footsteps of his brother too, yeah. because incredibly good player already it's just a matter about the quantity of events you play yeah i mean i also i'd want to say isaac robinson in that too because i mean how much did we really really hear about him in 2021 compared to how much we we talked about him almost almost every single week since idlewild in 2022 no one talked about him in 2021 i always say this is when i would put together you know stats and and have like the best average round ratings Mm -hmm. of certain seasons or past chunks like seasons combined Mm -hmm. isaac would always come up and i'd be like okay i know this dude i know he's good but it, it just always looks bad because he only plays a couple of events and puts up like a 1050 something rating. Yeah. So you got to put in a, you know, a minimum, you know, minimum five events played to get him out of there. But of course he played a full season last year mm-hmm. and lived up to it. So I think there's a lot of players where it's just, yeah, they're good enough. It's just about getting that commitment on the road and then doing it consistently over a whole season. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. Let's jump over to the FPO side of things. And then mm-hmm. we're going to completely reverse the roles on breakout player to flopped players. Yeah, I so you know we didn't officially say what the threshold was. I'm gonna say top thirty for for mm-hmm. FPO. Um, you know they usually cut the fields in half uh, for you know pro tour um, placements, I guess. But we'll we'll go to thirty here. Um, and the first one I'll say is Stacy Ronsley. I mean she finished thirty second, and she's a player who this year really took that full season. You know understands the tour and this was you know a prove it year and she had a a, a solid year i'll say you know i, I wouldn't call it phenomenal mm-hmm. um i know she probably thinks she can do much better but she had a lot of great finishes in there and it's just a better that next step than you need to get to but once you get that next step it's you're just going to hear their name non-stop mm-hmm. uh and she could be one of those players uh and the next one i'll say is hannah win am i saying that right i i always hear it's like win but it's, you know, H H U Y N H. Um, she's another one who had a, a lot of good finishes, um, you know, played a full season just about, but is just like getting over that next edge. You know, you can see top twenties, uh, this season you can see, or the, from this past 2022 season, you can mm-hmm. see top twenties, but it's a matter of, okay, now you're getting top tens consistently and finishing outside the top 30 is almost unheard of. Yeah. Uh, one name that definitely pops out to me is Stacy Haas. I don't think in 2021 I really knew who she was, but then in 2022 I went to the Open at Tallahassee, and she ended up winning that event, which was incredible. And she she had a very solid year. She missed a couple events like DDO Masters Cup, OTB Portland, Beaver Stage, so she kind of skipped out on that West Coast swing. But for the events that she did go to, she did play extremely well. She finished 33rd in the Tour rankings this year, uh, for Tour points wise. And I would say, you know, pretty solid season for her. I think she's someone who 
same thing can definitely I, I picture it in kind of the Luke Sampson boat where can definitely play extremely well at the silver events. I don't think she's at the caliber just yet to really compete over at the elite series events on a consistent basis where we're saying like, oh, we're going to talk about her every single week going into the 2023 season. But definitely the silver events and below. I mean, she's an incredible player, MVP sponsored. So a big win for her. Yeah, and uh, next name I want to talk about is, uh, if you guys remember, I, I had a stat or fiction or some recap and I couldn't pronounce it right. Let me try my best, but uh, Heidi Lan. Okay. I think it's yep. Lane. I think I, I was saying that extra part, yep. but, you know, messing up the pronunciation pretty bad. Um, you know, it again, it's just like uh, Jakob Semerad didn't play a whole lot of events. I don't think she played a tour event until looks like the preserve actually mm -hmm. uh so before the european swing um but incredibly good finishes like consistently finishes top 10 really makes a name for herself you know she i feel like really uh succeeded with um the big european names leaving the european uh tour uh she just jumped right in and filled in was like okay i'll take all these wins but now coming over to uh the u.s dominated tour of course we go over to europe as well but the disc golf pro tour uh, in majors really just put her foot down and was like, Hey, I'm a, I'm a top 10 finisher as well. Like, you know, count me in with, uh, Kristen, Evelina and, mm -hmm. um, uh, Oh my goodness. Hannah Blombers. Excuse yeah. me. No, definitely a super smooth form. Uh, someone else who I, I'm pretty sure, pretty sure she has a family back across the pond. And so I don't think she gets to travel as much as a lot of these other players get to. But definitely someone who, when she did travel this year, she was playing extremely well on it. Yeah, and I mean, I'll, I'll just say one more name that pops out to me, but is uh, Aria Castorita. Mm -hmm. um, she's, she's a young player, right? Like she was just playing juniors, I think did well at some junior majors just recently. Um, I, I'm just winging it here, but I think she's leading the PDGA Rookie of the Year. Um, she, um, didn't win the disc golf pro tour rookie of the year that of course went to Emily beach. Um, uh, but the qualification process is different between the both rookie of the year awards. Okay. Um, but Aria, like again, a lo lot of just good finishes I mean, she finished seventh at USDGC. If you remember mm -hmm. that she was mm -hmm. lead card or chase card throughout that getting coverage, you know, it's so hard to tell with live coverage nowadays, but you remember seeing her and getting talked about all throughout that event finishes with a top 10 and a major absolutely incredible uh and i stock on her is only going up yeah no definitely i think breakout players wise ben do you think of anything off the top of your head i know you more so gotten really involved in the pro scene kind of coming into this year but for the most part i think that's notable players to kind of look for in the 2023 season when it's not coming to obviously the names that we talk about week in and week out but i think a, a great topic that i've definitely wanted to kind of hammer in is uh just talking about players, and this is any player in the MPO and FPO division who you kind of thought they were going to have an incredible year or a great year, and they just had, let's say, a lackluster year. Um, and I guess one person that I can think of off the top of my head, I'll start the discussion for it, is uh, Kevin Jones. Just not really putting up too great of a season, I would say, especially after what was probably a big year for him signing with, you know, he's been with Prodigy, but I think he signed a bigger contract going into this year. Um, and just didn't, I don't know, didn't meet up to the expectations. I think, I think going from 2021, the top two players on 
prodigy were what Chris Dickerson and Kevin Jones with Kevin Jones, I think getting, let's say a bigger contract. And I would say Chris probably not getting as big of one when you could argue who the better player is, who's, you know, the more notable name on the team. But, um, I don't know. I think for potentially what prodigy is paying him, I don't know exact numbers on it, but I definitely think they, I don't know. I wouldn't be too. <laughs> you don't know. Well, I'm just trying to like try to word it out. I was trying to like not sound like a major jerk, but you know, I would be let's say disappointed if I if I was in his shoes after a great 2021 season and great 2020 season, I would be disappointed with my play in this 2022 season. So that's I guess how I can look at it that way. Yeah, I, I think that's understandable. Um, you know, he made. Uh, Great finish at LVC and was, you know, right up in the top, had a great final round to kind of push up the leaderboard. Um, He's a name we just didn't hear as much this year. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, of course, like at least on the course, you know, him doing DJ stuff and being one of the, you know, better players at Prodigy and being Mm -hmm. a a very marketable player still. Uh, But when he does kind of show up, you're like not surprised at all. Yeah. Uh, So it's, it's kind of, it's not like one of those names that, you know, they got so bad that once they do good, you're like, Oh, finally they're back. It just feels normal. And, Mm -hmm. and I'll say Jonesboro, he was going down to the Mm -hmm. wire with Paul Macbeth and uh, Calvin Heimberg. And he just missed out on the playoff. but he was right into it in hole 18. Mm -hmm. It, it felt normal. You're just like, yeah, this, this feels just like the 2019 season, you know, Calvin Heimberg playing phenomenal, Paul Macbeth playing phenomenal, Kevin Jones playing phenomenal. Mm -hmm. It just, it, it didn't feel any different, but I would agree that, you know, it's not the season you want. I mean, he was a top 10 player, I'd say, um, for the last couple of seasons. And this year, I don't think I could say he was a top 10 player. Yeah, I think especially after a player wins an elite event, you kind of think, all right, they're going to win another elite series. When's their next one? They've done it once before. Now maybe they can do it again. I mean, who do we have in the show? Was it Gannon who said, oh, now that I finally got that big win, it's going to be easier to get the next one. I mean, so there's tons of players out there who at this point have now won elite series events. And then looking just at Kevin Jones's resume for this year, third at Jonesboro Open was incredible. Third at European Open is incredible, but we know that Paul and Eagle really separated themselves towards the end. So like that yeah, third place, absolutely. That third place is awesome. Uh, Des Moines Challenge third place, Vegas fourth, Sula fifth, uh, Beaver State sixth, which you know both of those were silver events, and then just a lot of stuff just outside the top ten at places that you kind of think. You know, he normally does pretty well at. Um, so not uh, obviously it's not the worst season in the world for him. I mean, he still had a decent season. Just more surprising that we didn't really we didn't really ever talk about him kind of being really in contention to win a tournament. Jonesboro only being one one stroke out of it was fine, but at the same time, just definitely someone who I don't know, for me personally, I thought would have had a much better season than they actually did. Um but it, I mean in the- Go ahead. The thing is, it's, it's, I mean, in, in, you know, the grand scheme of things, you know, in talking about it, it's so easy to overcome a bad season. If you're Kevin Jones next season, you could come out and have, you know, five top tens, even get a win, uh, have a, a chunk of podiums and we wouldn't be surprised. We'd just be like, oh yeah, that, that's it. And, and boom, it's just, he's back on it. Um, so it, it, in a positive way to turn it around, it's just, it, he still like has all the skills to do it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all there. It's all possible, and we wouldn't be surprised about it. No, definitely. Um, uh, I'll move on to one. We, I mean, we talked about getting an elite win um, and then having to live up to that. Uh, but Nathan Queen, um, mm. and I'm going based off, you know, official 
uh, rankings on Statmando is, mm-hmm. you know, he was all the way up at 15th last year after having that monumental uh, Pro Tour championship win. Um, you know, that really vaulted him up in the rankings just for getting, again, that really huge win, uh, winning, what was it, uh, 25 or was it even 30 grand last year? Yeah, Either I think it was way, the $30,000 right? at the Pro Tour championships towards the end of it. Yeah, he, he dropped all the way down to 48th uh, by this week. Just, mm-hmm. you know, I know he's dealing with some injuries. Uh, he has some shoulder problems throughout the season, um, but still it just, it just, I, you didn't even know he played the tour and that might be harsh to say, but like, I'm trying to think if we even heard his name once throughout the season, you know, he's done no. commentary and does phenomenal work there. Yeah. Looking at his PGA page right now, I mean, tour wise, he, he only played 14 events this year. So injury was definitely something that plagued him this year, but he only cashed at one elite series event and one silver event. Being the Dynamic Discs Open, he got $925 for a 13th place finish. And then the Made First presents the Music City Open, the silver event. He got 17th at it. Other than that, I mean, 51st at Champions Cup, 57th Waco, 59th Jonesboro, 59th Beaver State, 64th Portland, 90th Texas States, and then 114th over at Vegas. So when you talk about the year last year, like you were saying, in the top 15 on the Statman to power rankings for it, and then just dropping off, I think, completely. You got to think the injury was definitely huge this year. I actually, until you said that, didn't even know he was injured. And I definitely didn't know that he didn't play too, too many events this year. Um, looking at his PJ page now, I'm kind of just like, oh, whoa. Okay, that's that's why we didn't hear about him that much. But Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll move on to another one. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one, I mean, switched sponsors into this year um, was Andrew Marweed. Mm-hmm. You know, he he's a player where you know he's going to turn it on at the end of the season so if it's a slow start to the year you're like okay let's just wait until we get into the woods um but with this season it didn't didn't quite feel like that you know he wasn't totally unheard of um he he did you know i think still had a quality season by a lot of people's standards but where we saw him going at the end of last year going to a playoff in Idlewild uh just having phenomenal finishes and being you know one of the most talked about players and having this big sponsorship change mm-hmm. to then go into this year, he dropped, you know, 11 spots in the official rankings. Uh, he's down to 24th, which still top 25, still in a good spot, but again, not what you were hoping for after such a great finish uh, to the season last year. Mm-hmm. No, and I think what was it? Was it, was it who, who did Kyle Klein beat in the playoff? Was it Marweed? Yeah, it was Marweed. Yeah, right? it was Marweed at Idlewilds, correct? Just yeah. trying to like remember it, in but yeah, definitely. Of course. Yeah, yeah, in 2021. Um, no, that was definitely something we did. We definitely, I played with him at Champions Cup this year, and he had a phenomenal first round. I think he finished the tournament pretty well, but Ben got his camera set Let's up. Go. That, was, that was one of the issues that we were having earlier. talk now. Yeah, this is why we need Matt. Matt, Matt keeps everything I going. I figured it out. Mm-hmm. I, honestly, I'm pretty proud of myself. Uh, I figured out my on my lonesome. There you go. Except the All green right. screen. Whatever. It is what it is. That's, Punishment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Ben's in heaven. All right. So, Andrew Marwe, definitely someone. Now, a couple other names that are just kind of like quick ones we don't really need to dive too, too much into. Um, but let's talk about like a last year we heard just a lot about Ben Calloway, made some lead card coverage. It was a name that we definitely heard about more. Made the jump onto the Elite Series team this year for Team Discraft. Finished up at 44th in the Pro Tour standings this year, but there wasn't a tournament where we were really like, you know, oh, Ben Callaway is on the lead card. He's, you know, so I think that's another one that, you know, didn't, I think kind of, 
I think a lot of these players are signing bigger deals now, obviously going from the tour team on Discraft. It's a huge deal getting up into the elite team. So I think that's an added pressure onto it. You kind of, like for me, if I have a good tournament in 2021, going back to that same tournament, I want to have just as good, if not even better in 2022. So I think for the a lot of these players, a lot of pressure gets to them. Um, and then just the travel lifestyle. Same thing. He's got a wife and a kid. Yeah. So, you know, he still travels full time, yeah. but that's definitely something that probably weighs a lot on He's it. talked about it uh, many a times, too, where he wasn't even sure he was going to pretty much tour this year mm-hmm. um, because of his wife and kids. But he did. it's because he did great last year and obviously he got signed to the elite, elite team to basically so he could provide for them. Mm-hmm. In a way, so and then you know, but I think I think you're right on the nose. I think the pressure probably got to him where it's like, all right, I'm on the elite team now. I have to do better. Mm-hmm. When last year it was just like, let's just play disc golf, you know. I mean, we say we, you know, we talk about a player having, let's say, a bad season. Any player in the world right now would say, yeah, I would love to get ninth place at the professional disc golf world championships. But we're more so talking about a season long kind of aspect of compared to last year to this year and I'll, yeah. I'll just talk about it quick let's say 19 tournaments in 2022 with a total of winning ten thousand dollars in 2021 it was 21 events winning sixteen thousand nine hundred fifty so two more events but still making just about six thousand dollars more last year compared to this year so finishes like that i mean definitely was more of a lackluster year. I think we definitely did see his name a decent amount on Jomez, especially over at Jonesboro last year. Didn't see, I don't think we saw him on Jomez this year. Um, and we, we have the obvious of the Eagle McMahon who was riddled with injury all year, but still had the events that he did <laughs> yeah. go to. He still did fine at um, Nate Sexton didn't cool. play as much this year, but definitely kept his cash rate alive. Um, a local player to us, someone who I kind of, we all grew up with in the disc golf community here, but Casey White, and this isn't to dog on anyone, but for Casey White, I think same thing standards-wise, he would say he had much more of a lackluster year this year than he did compared to last year. I mean, we saw him, I think, what, two out of the three rounds over at Texas State's last year. Jonesboro, he was on chase card, I think. And so had... Well, had this year he was leading Champions Cup after round one, mm-hmm. or was tied for the lead. Oh, yeah. But he, he, yeah, I, I totally agree with that, though. Mm-hmm. I, I think he would, he would say it himself. It's not us dogging on him. Uh, but he he dropped uh, down and again going to reference the official rankings, mm-hmm. but he dropped from 40th to 56th, mm-hmm. um, down 16 spots. You know, one of the the higher drops for people who were within the top 50 last year. Mm-hmm. Casey, uh, yeah. go ahead. I was going to say one more uh, name that I wanted to mention. Uh, my name is Matt Bell. He also switched sponsors. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went from 26th to 41st. I feel like people didn't know he was that high last year. Um, you know, he's a elite series winner too. He won in mm-hmm. Delaware a few years back, mm-hmm. um, and phenomenal player and phenomenal putter. That's what he was really known yeah. for. Uh, he switched to thought space this year. Um, and you know, I don't know how much, if it's open bag or, or what the exact deal is, but, um, you know, he, we didn't hear about him a lot during the season. I, I think the biggest thing I can name from his season this year was the, the A set, uh, DDO, right. Or was it yeah. world? Oh we, yeah. Either, whenever yeah. Emporia and they yep. did the, ace competition he took home the i think it was 25 grand from yeah. that for him the ace on hole 16 during the practice round yep um and i mean that's a great accomplishment and a great check to get but um you know if the most notable thing from your season and i might be remembering incorrectly but if the most notable thing from your season is a practice round ace you know i think you would be <laughs> expecting more uh for a player of his caliber 
I mean, I'm just kind of like casually looking at the U-Disc standings from the beginning of the year towards the end of the year. But someone, Luke Humphreys, I mean, what was it? After the first three two. or four events? Yeah, was, first two, he was number one. Yeah, he was leading it. He was having incredible rounds, played great over at Waco, played great over at LVC. Um, started the year really, really hot. And then towards the going from the middle of the year to the end of the year, just slowly kind of dappered off. We didn't really see too, too much on the Luke Humphreys train. Yeah, at MVP, he really struggled. It, mm-hmm. was, it was pretty apparent. Um, and I know the weather was not that great, but yeah, he finished 70, 70th. Mm-hmm. And Matt Bell actually finished ninth at MVP. So that was, pro- I think that was his well, best yeah. event. Yeah. Throughout the year, yeah. No, For the series. Yep. I think uh, jumping over into the FPO side, I know one name that jumps out to me right off the rip um, big sponsorship change going into this year, signed a massive contract with Dynamic Discs, was also public about the contract, which is something that I think honestly adds more pressure into it. I mean, let's say you took Evan Kearns, he signs a $500,000 deal with Stat Mando, but then just doesn't keep up with what he's supposed to. But there's more pressure now that everyone knows what he's making in a sense. And so with Kona Panis, um, switching over to DD, signing a massive deal, four-year deal with them. To have more of what I would say, she's a previous Elite Series winner. Um, to have a lackluster year, we didn't talk about her winning any events this year. It was more so, you know, where is she at? You know, is she still, let's say, in the top 10, the top 15, the top 20? Um, but in her eyes, in our eyes, I think definitely a more poor year than what she would want. And like I said, I think... Uh, signing one of these big contracts, whether we know what they make or what they don't make, I think having it be public knowledge just adds that much more pressure onto it. I mean, you can think like Paul and Ricky now are the million dollar men in disc golf, but if they have a bad year, they're still making that guaranteed million dollars, but everyone's going to think, you know, oh, either the money's getting to them or, you know, things like that. And so, yeah, I mean, you can look no further than any other sport ever. Uh, and that happens. I mean, I'm going to reference the NFL right now. Look at the Denver Broncos with Russell Wilson. They just yeah. they traded the farm for this guy and are paying him a hundred million dollars. Yeah. They traded like three first round picks. They traded their old quarterback. They traded a tight end. All this stuff to get Russell Wilson to lead him with their great defense to the playoffs. And he's doing nothing. He's looking terrible. And yeah. every single game, everyone's like, look how much money this guy's making and not performing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I you know, Russell Wilson has been uh, in the professional football business for quite a while now, you know, maybe he can tune it out, but it's not easy. Um, and that, I mean, when you're making a, a good amount of money, which Kona is, I mean, for mm-hmm. disc golf, it's a very good amount of money. It, it just, it can be a lot to weigh on. And I also think disc golf, such a momentum sport. You see the good rolling with momentum. Mm-hmm. I mean, like Simon this year just had the momentum and things were falling into place um, on the good side. Um, plenty of other players had the same good momentum, but then there's also the bad momentum and trying to get out of it is just can be the hardest thing. And I think that's what Kona ran into is mm-hmm. she just wasn't finding it, had all the eyes on her and other players can just lay low and maybe we'll call them out on this episode every year. Um, but otherwise they can lay low and just, you know, keep on working at it. Uh, just put in the effort and eventually hope to turn it around. But every week we're talking about Kona Panis and what she, what is she up to and what happened her, she missed this putt. She missed this drive. Like it's, it's all talked about and that can be hard and it's just going to keep you in that momentum of uh, the negative momentum and keep Mm -hmm. you in the hole. Yeah. I think, I mean, 
We actually, so I filmed or recorded an episode on the party podcast with Hannah and Paul this week, um, right before Thanksgiving, and I came up to Massachusetts. One of the things we were talking about, though, is the professional side of disc golf, whether it be on the social media side of things or just on the professional being a player side of things. And with how with how accessible all these pros are in the sport and how accessible their social media is and how much, I think, sponsorships rely on their social media, it creates it so players have to be a lot more involved with that. And in disc golf, we don't really have a ton of players who, let's say, are hiring someone to run their social media game. Like Kona's social media game is one of the big reasons why she was able to sign such a big contract because she has such a massive yeah. following. Like I think she has over 100,000 followers over on Instagram. Um, and so that's, it's gotta be at least top five to top 10 most followed players when it comes just for Instagram in specific, but she also posts a lot. She posts, you know, and also shout out to her and Colton. They just got married they, from what it looks like on their Instagram stories. They're headed to Hawaii for their honeymoon. So shout out to them, disc golf weddings. There's been a lot of them recently, which is pretty <laughs> awesome. Um, but I think, like I said, just with how accessible pros are nowadays it, it makes it that much more and we keep bringing it back to the pressure i think the pressure just is filled into it and for someone who even bef- before she signed this massive deal had a big social media presence going into it but we now hear about it a lot more because bam she signed this five hundred thousand dollar contract Ooh, she left Innovo. she went to dynamic discs they had the whole helicopter video and everything like that so it was kind of you know overhype under deliver aspect of it and i think we can see that a lot of areas and a lot of different people's games or what they're trying to sell and stuff like that it's just a big overhype under deliver of you know just social media in general and being a professional player so not to rag on her the whole time but i think we can definitely find some other players that you know last year we talked about a lot this year not so much um so do you have yeah, any off the top of your head evan i'll go to another you know i'll say obvious one but for a different reason mm-hmm. Uh, but that's Heather Young. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, she took uh, had the choice of walking away from uh, professional disc golf um, and hasn't played an event since, I, I actually, off the top of my head, don't know when the last time it was, but mm-hmm. um, really all season. Yeah. Um, not a significant part about the season, but she was a top 10 player last year, um, was known as obviously an incredibly good putter. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this year we saw Owen Scoggins, incredibly good putter, make a huge name for herself. Mm-hmm um be one of the surprise players of the year and one of the most liked um we're like heather with could have been there too that that's her style she could have done the same thing um but you know her own choice you know her she um whatever the reason was inside of me we had her on the show and she talked about it but uh stepped away and you know it is what it is but mm-hmm. no she was one um another one and this is another Battle with injury a lot throughout the year, um, but definitely didn't play as many of events as you would think. But Haley King, I know she won the U.S. Women's Disc Golf Championship, which is a major. But other than that, with Haley being a multiple Elite Series winner and in contention a lot over the last few years, but she's another player who we've known her pretty much the whole time as being a Discraft sponsored player. And then, bam, she makes a big switch over to Innova, does win a major throughout the year, which... We would all love to win a major, but throughout the rest of the events, like I don't, you know, I could go into her PDGA page and look a little bit more, but I don't remember talking about Haley as much, but I do know she was dealing with injury this year. Definitely did not play as many of events as a lot of these other touring players and how consistent they are on the road. So she's someone who you could kind of, I wouldn't call her season a flop, but I also, I wouldn't consider it an incredible season. So 
I think I think that has to go with the. I think we're seeing a lot more prominent disc golfers kind of tapering off and being like, I need a break. Mm-hmm. And I think you know the schedule has been talked about a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton mm-hmm. by like a lot of a people. ton, a ton. <laughs> but um, I think more and more people, even at the top, like Haley King, I consider at the top, are mm-hmm. getting just overwhelmed and being like. Maybe this isn't for me. This is this is a lot, mm-hmm. and I think it, it just comes with load management. You know, picking and choosing your 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 courses that you want, and I think that's where the pro tour is probably headed for a lot of lot of people. So like, so Silver Series, a lot of people won't show up to in a, in a few years from now if you're the top guys because it's like you you need yeah. a break. You you can't play be playing every week if you don't need to. If yeah. you're a grinder, then you got to. I think that's more so how the silver events are really supposed to play out in the next few years is kind of pushing out the top, top level of players, especially, you know, like I wouldn't be surprised if one day we see, I don't know exactly how it would work, but like, I would love to see a silver event going on, which is more of a low key one. And then an elite series event going on as well. The silver event is just getting post round production, but then the elite event elite series event is getting all of the live coverage. It's getting a majority of the, um, post-production player or post-production companies that are in it like the Joe Mezes, the GK pros and stuff like that. But, you know, I think if the schedule is as busy as it was this year, we're definitely going to see a lot of players taking more time off, um, which I think is a good thing. Actually. I mean, not saying they should be taking off half a season um, since this is their job, but at the same time, being able to not play as many of events, but still making a decent chunk of change. I mean, we're, we've since the pro tour became a thing, We've seen just the price, uh, excuse me, the prize pool just increase so much more. Players are now winning, you know, seven thousand, eight thousand, nine thousand, ten thousand dollars for winning some of these elite series events. When just a few years ago it was only twenty five, thirty five, forty five hundred dollars. So now let's say Simon goes out, he wins Des Moines, makes ten thousand or twelve thousand dollars, whatever it was from it. He's like, okay, well, you know what? There's a tournament. It's way out west. This, you know, in two weeks. I'm going to skip that one. I'm going to fly home and I'm going to go spend time with my family. And I think being able to rest up and then bam, go out to the Portland open, go get another win, maybe take some time off. I know he didn't go to Beaver state right after that. He came back and went back to Massachusetts. So I think players will definitely be a little bit more picky and choosy going into the future. But like I said, and that's why we're not really considering, I wouldn't consider Haley King season a flop, but at the same time, you know, you sponsor a player, like let's say I'm in of I sponsor a player. If they get an injury, I mean, yeah, people can fake an injury, but at the same time, uh, more than likely, you want to see your players at the events. If you're paying them money, you want to see these players play the events. But I don't know. I think as the schedule has just increased and increased and increased year after year that, you know, I I think it would be great to see. I, I would love to see the silver events. I know this is off topic, but I would love to see the silver events go in the direction of not too, too many of the top um yeah professionals are going to those and to round out you know Haley is it's just once she has her full mental uh mentality there and does a full tour like she's gonna win so many events again like she did it in 2021 Mm -hmm. she won four tour events of him right like it she's one of the best players we have in the sport uh there's clearly something outside the game that was going on this year i yeah just you know moved to charlotte and Whatever else is going, you know, hope the best for her. But of course, when it came to on the course, like wasn't her best year and mm-hmm. wasn't what we expected. Well, it, it, um, you, oh, my bad. You're still going. I was going to move on. But if you have any last I was thoughts just gonna on say, Harry yeah, King, go for real it, Real quick. Uh, 
you know, you see Innova really supported her in that move because they released like the Hawkeye, her mm-hmm. own disc that mm-hmm. I don't me I don't think has been released. Maybe it was uh I don't know. Uh, I think she had like a another tour series, maybe like Mako. So like they really were were all in on her. So maybe next year they're hoping like yeah, I mean she'll go the, strong. One of the best selling discs in the world being the Firebird. They came out with a Halo Firebird. I mean, oh yeah, I saw, that, that's another one. Yeah, yeah nice. I, I saw like one. I saw people just in the local scene. Um, I saw tons of Halo Firebirds out there. I remember in New England here, it was playing a tournament up at the Hollows, and I saw a ton of people throwing the Halo Firebirds. Yeah, and so, so yeah. she's definitely getting the support. She's a very very likable person when it comes to. Her game style, I really like how she plays. She's another player that just has an incredible backhand, an incredible forehand, is and is a great putter. Mm-hmm. Switching sponsors is a big deal, I think, every single year. It's very rare do we see a player, and we were able to see it out of Paul. We've been able to see it out of Ricky, where they do make that big switch, and they can still have a successful season. Mm-hmm. I think for a lot of players, though, I think that's definitely a huge thing that you know, we saw out of Dickerson this year, actually, where it went from Prodigy, who he was with for years and years, won majors with them, and then switching over to Discraft and was able to still win a major and have a great season. I mean, throughout the year, we kind of talked about him potentially getting player of the year, depending on the rest of the season finished out. But all that added pressure of, okay, more than likely when these players are switching sponsorships, they're more than likely getting a better offer from that sponsor than their previous one. And it definitely adds pressure in that sense. I mean, it's just... You know, even for myself, if if I'm a sponsored player, let's say by Discuro, Resistance, or, you know, Discraft, if I go out and, you know, I go out and play an Elite Series event, like my goal is to play the best that I can play, make some money at it. And if I don't do that, then I'm disappointed in myself. And I know like my sponsor's not going to say like, oh, hey, I'm so disappointed. You didn't do great <laughs> then. Like, obviously I have higher expectations of myself than I think other people do of me. But at the same time, like, I feel like, oh, hey, I'm, I'm letting down my sponsor right now. And that definitely adds a mentality side of things. You know, yeah. if you're like for me this year, I didn't play well on the road at all. I had one good round. I think that I could actually consider, you know, oh, yeah, that was a great round, played great. And it led to some cool things. But at the same time, other than that, I really didn't do anything. And I'm not a I'm not at the level to where I'm a consistent touring professional. I've played well i've beaten some good people i do a lot better when i play local events you know a tier wins b tiers c tiers and stuff like that and there's a bigger confidence there but at the same time when you're a touring professional let's say you're making eighty thousand dollars a year from this company you definitely you don't want to play bad you know and yeah that's if you start out the season bad then you're gonna add that pressure of like oh my god i gotta turn it up and if you don't turn it up at all throughout the season then it's like what am I doing here? Do I belong in the sport? Are people excelling faster than I can excel? Am I not dedicating enough time to it? Okay, now I'm not dedicating enough time to my family. I mean, there's there's hundreds and hundreds of things that I think any top professional could say like, yeah, this is added pressure onto it. Evan, you look like you're about to say something. Uh, I mean, I'm also just laughing at- Is that the Lebanese flag, at- Evan? Uh, no, it's the uh, retro, I guess, flag of Maine. Oh, I don't actually know what the Lebanese flag looks like, but now I'm interested. It has a pine tree on it. Uh, Anyways. Nice. nice. Cool tr- uh, cool uh, flag in my book. Anyone with the tree. Uh, but I'm, I'm just dying at the, the scrolling text. If you guys are watching live or watching <laughs> after the fact on YouTube, uh, <laughs> I'm just sitting here. I only can see some of it because of the studio stuff, but I'm just laughing at it. Uh, it's some good stuff. Uh, but I'll hop on to another name. Mm-hmm. I can see some of it. It's the last the one I got. Stuff. Whoa! Oh, oh, sorry. Is, is everything all good on that yeah, side? No, we're good. We're good. Evan, Evan just. I'm yeah. hearing, I'm hearing sorry, myself now. 
I, I, well, right. I, wanted to, I wanted to pull up the chat because I don't have it normally, and so I had to turn that on, but I had to make sure the YouTube was off. So anyways, my apologies to people. I'm not Matt Graham. Sorry. All right, all right. All right. Uh, but I, I'm going to mention uh, Sarah Hokum, which she got mm-hmm. some wins this year uh, on the Silver Series, um, but on the elite level was definitely not what she was hoping for. Um, she, in her entire career in Elite Series and Majors prior to this year, had one uh, event outside the top 10. Uh, this year, I think it was eight, if I counted up correctly. Um, it just, it, it's insane. Like that's such a good track record for her whole, whole entire career. Um, phenomenal player. Um, and just unfortunate finishes this year. And it just felt like she was out of it at a few, but even with all of that, she had, um, an incredible cash streak going that uh, unfortunately uh, expired, I'll say, at GMC with the tight uh, cash payouts with the playoff event. Um, but it, she's been, you know, queen of uh, clean, uh, mm-hmm. notable name for years, you know, maybe not getting the win. I think her last elite win was uh, 2019 Hall of Fame Classic. If I had a bet on, you know, if she'd win an elite event next year, I'd probably say no. Uh, but you would expect podium finishes you'd expect you know plenty of top tens being right up in there mm-hmm. uh playing well and this year just it it just felt something felt different or off you know you don't know if it's an injury you don't know if it's just fields getting so much tougher but just something felt different uh with their game and how she was finishing you know it's again nothing to you know finishing 11th at maple hill or fifth at dmc like those are those are great finishes but when you look at the overall um that she has more outside the top tens than inside the top tens. Mm-hmm. You know, that is surprising. No, definitely. The, what is it? What were we calling it before? The field of strength or something like that, but yeah. the, the strength of field the of field. Strength, yeah. yeah. The field of strength, there the you strength go. of the field it. has just, right. Am I saying that? Strength, oh of, the uh, strength yeah. of field or strength oh, yeah. of the field would just be Anyways, yeah, the players. Works. I'm going to say it like this. The players are just getting so, so incredibly good right now. And they're finding, you know, like disc golf, let's say when I first started really playing tournaments was back in 2016, 2017, you know, and we had YouTube. I got to watch a ton of the events. There wasn't all this, you know, live coverage. The events definitely were as, you know, insane as they are now. But seeing what these younger players are able to knew that to do now because of the YouTube era and being able to work so much more towards it. I mean, when I was looking into disc golf back in 2016, 2017, I never once thought that, yeah, I'll I'll ever make any like serious money off of it. But now, you know, my life revolves around disc golf. I help, I co-own an apparel business. I host a podcast. I sell discs. I play tournaments. I travel around to where my living in and of itself comes from uh, disc golf. I teach lessons, you know, for fun. But now players, I mean, you have the Gannon Burrs out in the world who he's a major winner now, makes a ton of money you know, from winning tournaments or playing in tournaments, his sponsorships are probably going to pay him a lot more now because he's becoming such a likable kid and such a great player that, you know, like Matt Graham's kids, you know, they all started disc golfing when they were really, really young and they still are very young, but they've had a, a disc in their hand pretty much since they were born. And they have all these opportunities now in front of them, which is so incredibly awesome. But when we talk about, let's say, a Sarah Hokum, who back in the day where courses were definitely a little bit shorter, you you could get away with being just a one-sided player. But one of the reasons that we saw such a domination out of Kristen Tatar this year 
is she's an elite level forehand player, an elite level backhand player, and an elite level putter. You know, we can say Sarah Holcomb's an elite level forehand player, but she's not an elite putter and she's not an elite backhand player. And so I think at this point, with how the courses are being set up, set up over, especially over the last year, they're, they're getting too long. There's too many different variables of how shots are shaped now. You know, I think we're just slowly going to see certain players fizzle out. But then you have then you have great players like Owen Scoggins, who she doesn't throw incredibly far with the backhand. She doesn't throw incredibly far with the forehand, but she's so consistent at both of them. And she makes up for it with just absolutely insane putting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it, it doesn't make sense how Owen Scoggins yeah. is so good. She just she just is uh, it, uh, it. It's indescribable and so cool to yeah. see what success she's had this year. Um, back to your point about the strength of field being uh, so much increased. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was I was going through comparing their official rank again from this week compared to the last week of 2021. But then I also have their point difference in between the two. Uh, and the, the formula stayed the same. Um, but all these players, even if they're dropping, not all of them, but most of them are still gaining points from their last year total, even though that they dropped. I mean, like Alexis Mandohano, she dropped six spots from 15th to 21st. She gained 308 points, going from 732 to 1040 uh, points. Um, uh, Juliana Corver, she dropped six spots, but she still gained points, which mm-hmm. is incredible. I mean, Deanne Carey dropped five spots, but gained 241 points. Madison Walker gained, lost two spots, but she gained 361 points. Like, it's crazy. Just they're all, as far as these points go to make up the rankings, they're all having better years. Um, they're falling in the spots. And mm-hmm. I mean, there's going to be a few spots to, you know, Europeans coming over and playing events or people who weren't playing for certain reasons, but there's just a lot of good players now. And mm-hmm. you got to just improve more than everyone else. Or you're yeah. going to fall behind as unfortunate as it is. I think uh, one breakout player that we actually didn't mention that just popped into my head, but Holland Hanley, who has not been playing disc golf very long, I think had one of the most incredible years that she could have had this year. Um, yeah, most improved player. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I'm just kidding. Like, I don't need to go back there again. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I mean, throwing the only ever recorded albatross at an elite series event, or I think silver and above, probably for an FPO player, caught live on camera. But then third place at Worlds after what only two years of really legitimately playing disc golf. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing players like that who are coming from other sports and finding such massive success now here in disc golf that it's worth doing now. We weren't seeing that in 2015, 2016, 2017, you know, looking back at the early 2010s and, you know, 2010 through 2018, we really had two to three to maybe four dominant players and probably only one or two really dominant players in the FBO division. So being able to see how much that has grown has just been a, a pretty awesome thing to see throughout the whole time. Yeah, we're going to see more players like Holland Hanley who are great athletes to pick up the game. Plus, you you had the whole story about all the players playing from when they were kids. Like, we're going to have more yeah. and more of these. We're just going to have more and more players who are uh, elite level, just yeah. fantastic players. And it it we're going to keep on going up for quite some time. And it's it's going to be fun to watch as fans. Oh, but being a a player who's on the fringe, like it's it's a scary time. You got to work. It's mm-hmm. it's tough. No, it is. Sorry, I was just asking Ben for something. Ben, do you have the, the readout that Matt had sent us in the oh, group chat? My, I, my phone died, sorry. Do I have? Yeah, I got yeah. you. I got sorry, you. my phone died midway through this. Guys, I thought it was charging and it wasn't. But, it's ad time. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, we do. Yeah. yeah. It, 
Go I was going to say, we didn't mention Holland Hanley earlier because she finished so well. Yeah. We, were, we were sticking to FBL players outside the top 30. She finished 13th. Like, mm-hmm. I, again, absolutely incredible. I already did my tangent on it, but by far the most improved player. No, I would definitely say so. And I think just a name that we're going to see in the future more. I mean, she comes from an athletic background. I think longevity wise, she was more, I think, in the weightlifting side of things. And I think also I could be wrong about this, but I think a volleyball player. I mean, I definitely has volleyball and then weightlifting. Yeah. yeah, I think definitely has a lot of athleticism coming over into the sport and someone who knew how to take care of themselves, I think, more than a lot of disc golfers do right now. I think that's also something that's being involved a little bit more in the sport, but we haven't really, I mean, it's a whole number of another top topic to talk about when we talk about who is actually really an athlete in our sport. I mean, we have a lot of young people playing right now who are incredibly gifted. And now that disc golf is actually a sustainable lifestyle, I hope that they are able to put in for personal training and getting their bodies correct and everything like that. I mean, I don't know. There's, there's so much that can really go into it in the next few years, especially for the young people. But really quick, I want to take a moment to thank those who are help supporting us. And we're going to talk about the Safari Knockers, which Matt has talked about a ton on the show. Yep. But it's not every day that someone comes up with something completely new in the disc golf worlds, but these guys have the new ultra portable top uh, target that you're able to take wherever, wherever you are. How portable is it? A knocker weighs only four and a half pounds and a pair of them will fit in most disc golf bags along with your discs. So whenever you're going out and playing or wherever you are, where you cannot play disc golf, now you can. It is now feasible to do it. A whole bunch of really fun places. If you can walk there, you can now play there. Check them out at safariknockers.com. They've been super generous to us. A lot of people who have already bought these have replied to us on Instagram and YouTube and everything saying how much fun they are. You all, you go out hiking with some friends, bring some discs. You got the Safari Knockers with you and you can still kind of casually play disc golf. Matt has talked about it to where he has played with his kids just while walking and hiking with his family. So definitely a new thing, safariknockers.com. Put that back over there, but... Evan, one of the things that you wanted to talk about earlier was the best island holes in disc golf. And I think this is a really fun subject because it's the chat can also get involved with this on what they think is a great island hole. I mean, just to list off one of the most notable ones, I think this year was hole 16 over at Emporia Country Club. Another one is hole eight over at the MVP Open. So great island holes, Jonesboro. I think it's also hole eight. I could be mistaken uh, hole there. Six at Jonesboro. Is it hole six at Jonesboro? Yep. But definitely. Island holes in disc golf create drama. They, we've seen them played in two playoffs at the World Championships in the last two years in a row. James Conrad winning in 2021 with a victory on hole 16 over at uh, the four out in Utah. And then Paul McBeth this year beating Aaron Gossage in the playoff on hole 16 at Emporia Country Club. I mean, it definitely... I don't know. How do we feel about that starting playoffs on an island hole? That's a whole nother oh subject. Boy. But oh yeah. Boy. yeah, that's I think a different can to open. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's something we can definitely talk about. But when it, when it comes to actual, you know, island holes in disc golf, what do we think? What are some of the most notables? Chat would love for you guys to kind of get involved hole on eight, it. Obviously. Oh, well, yeah. Hole eight at MVP. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Holy to VP. I mean, that's got a special place in all of our hearts. DC, so I feel like is pretty- I Yeah, how do we not even mention that earlier? Well, yeah, uh, that's, that's what it's for. This is the go, discussion ben. part of it, but yeah, Hole 17 but, USCGC. I think I think what I got to do for this discussion point is let's move past Maple Hill Hole 8 cuz I just 
my bias just won't let anything else be the best. Yeah. Uh, but quickly in Island holes, like it, a lot of times they end up being uh, two uh, stroke option holes. It's either, you know, a birdie or a par or a birdie or a bogey, or they're so hard that it's just par or bogey. Um, it's a lot harder to have kind of that full spread of birdie bogey um, or par. Um, so holes that can capture that are really incredible. And I mean, hole 17, as Ben, you just said is one where it feels like, I mean, there's obviously a lot of bogeys. There's plenty of pars, but then you do get the birdies. I mean, we saw the past two USDGC winners get crucial birdies on that hole uh, to go into hole 18. Uh, but the one that I wanted to really talk about that super underrated, one of my favorite island holes, this hole eight at the preserve. Uh, preserve actually has um, at least two island par threes. I think only two. They have a few other islands. Um, but hole eight, and then I think it's hole six before, which is that really big rock wall. Um, that, that one's a, I like that hole, but I definitely like hole eight a lot more. And I was looking into some numbers about it. It's definitely, again, a two stroke option hole, but, um, in MPO, you saw under par percentage being 51% par percentage being 44 with over par being, uh, just 4.69. And on the FPO side, uh, you saw a third be under par, 51.7 be par, and almost 15% be over par. So a little bit better scoring separation, I'd say, on the uh, women's side. But um, the men, you see a lot of birdies. But when you look at the just the top players, just 1030 or above, it's not a... It, it's not like a, oh, but all the good players get it, but then the field lowers it. Mm-hmm. Uh, for 1030 or above, it was split 50-50 between under pars and pars uh, for the three rounds being 24 of each. Um, so to me, that's like for the top, top players, you're getting a true this or that score separation. Uh, and for the women who are 940 or above, um, it was not exactly even, but still very good. It mm-hmm. was 50% under par, 43%. Uh, par and then five over par and to me that just that those are good numbers for you know a simple fun uh island hole that's a par three but preserve also has the aesthetics of it um it has the water in front you know it's not an island as far as land goes Mm -hmm. Um, most of these aren't besides maybe emporia um but as far as play goes it definitely is and it has trees in the background of uh, behind the basket it has the mulch. Mm-hmm. Ben's cracking up on my love for this hole. Oh, uh, get up on the chat. <laughs> all right. But they, they mulch it and it just looks fabulous. Yep. And it looks like players are just throwing over water, like into the woods. Uh, and it just, oh, it's incredible. I really enjoy it. No, definitely. 18 MVP on Maple Hill. Oh, well, I was just about to say, now we're kind of like diving in. Those, those are, those are some par three island holes that we're talking about. And, you know, there's par four island holes. Uh, I think one of the most notable ones being hole 16 over at the European Open out in Nokia, Finland, the beast. Um, it's a hole where stroke and distance comes back into play, which is something that we actually do not see too, too often. You're not penalized with an out of bounds stroke, but you do have to rethrow from the same position. Um, that hole has made tournaments go sour for some players. I mean, we've seen sevens, eights, nines, tens on it before in the past. Um, We've seen clutch shots by clutch players. I think one of the years that Paul had won it, he actually missed the island on his first shot, but then made the island on a second one. So he still took a par on the hole. Definitely something, I mean, and it's a long, 
it's a long drive that's not super super easy but then at the same time now you have this big righty backhand or you know forehand shot spike highs are into the green um there's that hole at vegas on the infinite course that people either love it or oh, hate man. it i do not care for it i think it's uh how long is it uh, I think it's actually less than 150. 300. It's less than 300 feet. I think it's yeah. 298 feet. If I, I, I'll I give remember, a quick yeah. plug, like did a good dive into that hole and, and things around it coming soon uh, on the disc golf network. But um, it what? was what uh, it, it's under 300 feet, which is incredible for being a par four. Mm-hmm. You're saying it's incredible for being a par four a par in the four? sense of, yeah, it's a par four. So well, it's a like double, incredible it's a as in like noteworthy. Not that I like, oh, okay. I think it's yeah. incredibly good. It's just incredible. Yeah. Like, Is it the one where you just hyzer wow. it in and land no. on this green? Okay. No. I'm so it's, yeah. So it's literally, you can throw, you know, 150 foot upshot onto one of the, it's technically a golf teeing area. And then you throw another 150 oh, foot oh, shot. You okay, get to the basket or you can, it's uh, like, it's, I think it's technically three separate, separate teeing areas. Yeah. Yes. And I saw that. Like Sexton just has such a buttery forehand that I think he normally goes for it. And more often than not, I think he twos it more than most people do. I remember the, I think the one year that I've actually played in Vegas, we only played one round on the infinite course and it wasn't super and next windy. Next year, I don't think the men are playing it. I think it's just the women. Okay, gotcha. And I mean, I just went putter, putter, dropping birdie. And I was like, you know what? It is what it is. It I'll, is what it I'll is. I'll take that yeah. all day. That's uh, 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 that's awesome, but I mean, yeah. as you can love it or hate it, but the the thing I think is good about it is it's rememberable, uh, memorable, rememberable. Memorable. I think it's just memorable. memorable. Yeah. yeah, you don't say that. Re. Look at me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and for uh, Vegas having so many holes, um, and I think underrated scenery, but I totally understand when you have that many holes and they're all you know open air in winter so there's dead grass mm-hmm. it people just you forget all the holes and every year you're just like oh yeah this one like or what is this one mm-hmm. and even when i was there i just couldn't even recognize holes yeah um but that one you remember it mm-hmm. it's memorable there mm-hmm. we go i got it there you go. uh and i think that's a good thing because having those is important to the viewer mm-hmm. to uh to really get a feel for things no definitely i mean uh, vegas yeah. also has the another island hole um, it was, it's the whole right before the playoff, the final playoff hole between Drew and Gannon this year, but it wasn't on the playoff circuit. It's hole six. It's that really, really, really short, short one. one on the end of a course. Yeah. With, yeah. Yep. The little hyzer into um, the, yeah. Yep, yep. Yep. Yeah. That one, I mean, just with the wind in Vegas, it makes it so tough, but that one, uh, it, that's an Island hole that I, I'm not a huge fan of, mm-hmm. uh, because it, it feels, it's not that it's a, and not a good hole as far as everything goes. I'm not I'm not looking at the data in front of me about how many players get the birdie or par or bogey. Um, but to me, it's like you're not seeing them air it out in a good par three way as you would uh, Maple Hill hole eight, mm-hmm. Jonesboro hole six, preserve hole eight. Uh, all these ones, it feels, I mean, hole 17 at USDDC has a little bit more of like the intimidation factor, but it still feels mm-hmm. like you're throwing a full shot where LVC hole six feels like you're just like you're throwing. I don't know how to describe it, but do you like, do you guys understand where I'm going with that? Yeah. I just, yeah, I'm not as big no, of a fan it. of it. Yeah. It's kind of a, again, it's memorable. Yeah, no, definitely. 
I mean, it's technically 14 at Maple Hill. Is that technically an island hole? I don't think you can play down the road on the left-hand side, you know, when you walk off the tee pad. So, I mean, is 14 at Maple technically an island hole? It might be. Cause the, uh, I think it would the, have to be considered that, right? All the land in front of you is OB. Yeah. But I don't, again, I don't know if you can turn left. I don't, I don't, I want to say. You can probably land on the path, though. You can land anywhere. You can land on the path, but it's got to be to a certain point. So that's what I, I don't know. I'm actually curious about that next time. I know Maple Hill is closed right now, unfortunately, the one you time that I'm up access. here. Come but on. yeah. No, the baskets are pulled. The baskets are, they, uh, they pull the baskets and I think lay them on the ground during this time of the year because they don't want people sneaking onto the course. So, wow. I did yeah. not know that. Not that I was planning on sneaking onto no. the course. No, I was, I was, uh, I was I driving by won't. just the other day and I saw hole two on the ground and hole three on the ground as I'm driving by. I'm like, wait, oh no. I, cause I, would have been like, hey, Simon, do you think we can maybe go play? I don't know. But so I think kind of those for memorable holes, there's not too, too many others. And there's so many holes in disc golf now uh, when it comes to the tour and trying to remember courses like Glendevere this year up at Portland Open, got a whole new change. I wasn't at that event in person. So I'm kind of like, what hole are we talking about? What hole is this? What hole is that? And so there's definitely still so many courses that I don't know. I'm kind of lost on now. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, that's why I think having an iconic island hole, or island hole, or any kind of iconic hole is so important because it's something that really makes people remember that course. And I mean, people have said about Champions Cup. You just said it about Glendovere. Those are two phenomenal courses, mm -hmm. but are really hard to remember what holes are. Like mm -hmm. I, I'm trying to like I can remember hole 18, but like even hole like one, I I can't quite remember. And I remember a yeah. few a few of the holes, but like not super well. Um, whereas, you know, uh, of course, even one that I haven't been to, but, um, you know, like Jonesboro, like you see hole six and I'm like, yeah, that's hole six. Like I kind of understand the flow before and after. Yeah. Um, and it just, that's so important to being a fan. You know, I'm not sure about the player side, but it's so important to being a fan and, and really understanding and loving a course, even when a course is so incredible, if it doesn't have that, I feel like it, there's a, a certain, you know, negative takeaway from it i think one hole that we didn't see this year but we've seen it in the past is actually hole 18 at you know utah open or worlds on the mulligans the golf course um josh anthon and ricky waisaki were going into the final hole all tied up and ricky walked away acing the hole get um a walk-off ace it, and then i think sarah hokum sarah hokum aced it as well was it at worlds or was it at that same tournament i want to say it was oh. at worlds when she aced it I can't remember. But I know Utah well. opened one of the but years. Yeah. Ricky walked off with an ace right in Josh Anton's face, which, you know, is pretty, yeah. pretty awesome to see. I've always, I think when it comes to the elite level, and this is a little bit off topic, but when it comes to the elite level, we've talked about this before is, you know, should a course end on a par three, a par four, or a par five? And I think par fours are the happy medium of just an all around great hole to end on with it being a challenging par four. I mean, look at USCGC's final hole. Um, you're throwing uphill. There's tight OB on the left-hand side and the right side. Your second shot is massively uphill. It's completely blind looking down into the basket. Um, but then we have holes like I would never want to finish GMC at Brewster Ridge for hole 18 being as, you know, let's say boring. I love the hole and I love the course, but that wouldn't be a fun finishing hole in disc golf. So I guess another topic, you know, that we can bring up eventually in the future is you know, I guess our own personal opinions. What is the best course out there? And you can all have your personal opinion on Buffenville. why. 
But then what is kind of what it, what is, you know, what is the best finishing hole in disc golf? Like what have we seen? We saw insane things happen at Worlds last year. We saw insane things happen at Worlds this year, best but are those good holes? Hole 18 at Maple Hill, I think used to be an incredible hole. I don't love oh, it anymore. Gosh. Why not? I, I don't like the T-pad position now. I, oh, I liked it. I liked it so much far. more where it used to be. It just allowed, but also there was all trees on the left-hand side of 18. So if you, yeah. you couldn't just throw a turnover and let it fade out left. If you faded out left back in the day, you were in between trees. five different pine trees, but then people still went for the shot and it was awesome because they were only, they're sub 300 feet away from the basket. And so a lot of players are like, if I can see it, I'm going for it. And it, it was just awesome back in the day. But I don't know. That's something I, well, I would I would want to actually legitimately I do want research. Ten seconds just yeah, to say something is, I think you you are thinking as a player and what is a more it, not just more fun but more. Good I'm looking at as a player in a vacuum. I'm also looking at it as a spectator. Where, I'm not looking at it on a stats where, wise. This could be a great whole eighteen, but we it was definitely this show that we talked about yeah. it a lot. I oh, remember yeah. looking into Maple Hill eighteen, but. Uh, the T pad that it's now, I think, is a better final hole in the final round of a tournament. Again, to your your GMC talk, uh, if I mean, oh, we could open this topic too. Is if you could have different tees and baskets per round. If Maple Hill did, um, if it's four round, let's mm-hmm. say we do whole uh, round one and two, do it from what is now the blue tee, but the old tee to the same basket, and then rounds three and four, you drop back to the further tee for the men. Um. I mean, I would love to see that, and I think that might be the the happy medium between uh, where the T-Pat should go, because I do think for final mm-hmm. round, just like you mentioned the Fort, people are going to mention European Open, you know, Glendivere, OTB, mm-hmm. all these courses have done it now, the current T-Pad's uh, in the best spot for that. Yeah. I would love, one thing that I want to see in course design is different basket locations on courses. We see it a little bit at USDGC yeah. when it comes to hole 5 and hole 17. Um, which is awesome, but at the same time, it's, I just think it's so much easier if you were to do it like that, rather than doing different, rather than designing, let's say two new layouts or two separate, um, T-pad positions, being able to move around baskets, just moving it, let's say 80 feet to the left versus 80 feet to the right completely changes the hole. And I don't know, like, I, I think. I think that would be awesome. I think we're seeing players now in it, hole 17 over at USCGC. Now that the basket's right up against the hay bales, I think when it's in one of the positions where it's closer on the left-hand side, a lot of people are just throwing that big forehand dump shot, you know, like Evan's dump and run. And Oh, goodness. Yeah. Don't, um, don't go to bring that. Yeah. The last, last iteration of that was bad. Yeah. But. So, um, I don't know. But I, I, would, I would love to have two different basket locations on some courses. Yeah, I would love that too. And I think you the kind of the biggest question to that is when of course has two or sorry, when an event has two courses, excuse me. Um, and it, it feels like we're, we're kind of moving away from that with how the next season's operated. We'll have uh, majors and elite plus events that might have two courses, but then everything else might be more one course. Mm-hmm. Uh, DDO is just a normal elite event next year. It's going down to just one course. It's just going to be Emporia country club. Meanwhile, we have elite plus events being, um ledgestone and portland open both have two uh courses over four rounds plus we have worlds up at smugglers notch which has two courses like Mm -hmm. i i wouldn't be surprised if for the 
next season when Worlds is not at Smugs and let's say it's somewhere else, Smugs is probably going to be an Elite Plus event, mm-hmm. uh, even if Maple Hill so. stays a playoff event. You know, I, maybe maybe yeah. Smugs is a playoff event just like it was this year. I'm not sure either, but that that would <laughs> take care of that, let's say, problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now that we're going to Emporia with just being uh, the Emporia Country Club and you're only playing one course, I definitely see it being super valuable to have multiple pin locations, uh, which they could absolutely do on that course. And yeah. I think they you know, EMAC can put something great together mm-hmm. using that and having different, different scores for what the rounds want to be. I mean, yeah, actually uh, I didn't know Emporia country club was going to be the only course played there next year. I mean, I went out to worlds this year. I've never cared to watch the coverage of the DDO just cause normally it's just a wind fest, not as bad as it was this year, but the courses themselves to me are just not super, super enjoyable. Like it would take me, there are a lot of courses where I can say, Oh yeah, that's whole nine at that course. Cause they're more, you know, like they impress me, but Emporia Country Club, like I have to think back, be like, okay, I played that one, that one, that one. okay, that's whole six, know. Yeah. you know. But at the same time, it's I don't know. To me, it's not a super memorable course because it's not my cup of tea. But then, okay, so now let me take a wooded course and say like Champions Cup. I absolutely love playing that course, but I struggle to remember hole numbers because a lot of the holes play very similar to another one, or they look the same. So it takes me a second to be like, okay, where am I at in the course? Oh, yeah. Like if I'm talking to Paul or someone about a round, I have to think like, okay, I did that. Yeah, hole seven. That's where I threw that shot. That's why you need an island hole. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. Single, like if you if you had to look at W.R. Jackson, what's their number one hole? Like what do you think of when you think of W.R. Jackson? No idea. Oh, yeah, I don't even know. That's what Great I mean. Great course, like, but I couldn't you tell you kinda, what the hole is. The only reason I think of 18 right now. Is because I thought I saw Chris throw an incredible shot on it, but it's also the hole where Kristen lost at it. And so that mm. is memorable in the sense of like, yeah, I know exactly what hole that is because of the way that it played out in person. But I don't think like, oh my gosh, this is such an incredible hole. I loved playing it. But going back to what we were just talking about with four round events and having two separate courses, I actually, and I know a lot of pros are a little bit more against this. They don't like playing two different courses. I actually love going to events and playing two different courses. Now there are certain times where it is more of a pain in the butt. Like I think when we were out in Utah for worlds last year, it was a decent drive going from course to course. But at the same time, when you're, when you're actually in the tournament, you're not going for mulligans in the morning and then going to another one in the afternoon. So it really wasn't terrible, but at the same time, like I I actually very much enjoy playing two different courses i i wish i played worlds back in 2015 where i think they had three different courses really yeah they had they had like three different courses and to me that i'm not gonna lie that actually sounds awesome but well um, go ahead let me think about it this way and it if let's do two opposite side of the spectrum you have your just normal elite event not you know something special for worlds mm-hmm. um out let's say d glow you want to just play the toboggan you practice that course. It's what you know. You know, think about it from Paul, Ricky, Chris, all these players. They just want to focus on toboggan, get good at that course, know what it is. Then you have your different kind of tournament, which is this huge, uh, let's say, amateur tournament where you have players from all over, um, you know, Ledgestone for amateurs. You're going to want to play a new course every single time. You don't want to drive all the way out yeah. to Illinois. Maybe it's a 12 hour drive. You get mm-hmm. there. It's like, all right, you're playing Northwood Blue all four rounds. Let's see who's the best. Mm-hmm. Um, 
no, you're going to want to be like, okay, well, let's play Northwoods Blue. I mean, I think they play like Sunset as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they play Eureka, but they're going to play this other course in, you know, the pure area. And they're going to play like five different courses over five rounds or something crazy. And from an amateur, that's what you want. Yeah. You're there for the experience. Yeah, you want to compete and play well, but you want to, you're, you're in a new area. You want to play all these new courses. Um, and so there's just two opposite sides of the spectrum. And, you know, I'm, maybe it's just you have a certain preference nick but maybe it's a different level of mm-hmm. pro you know yeah. um i also if, love if you're if you're on tour every single week you know you you went and played you know five tour events maybe you could go up to like 10 but you haven't been playing the whole tour and so maybe that's where the different mentality comes mm-hmm. yeah i also whenever i go out to tour events i love the subtle little changes that courses make whether a whole i mean sometimes it completely changes like deglo this year compared to I think 2020 was the last year that I went to it. It was 60% different, you know, than I went to it a couple of years ago. So I love subtle little changes that courses make. I would love to see new basket locations on some of the courses. I'd love, you know, Deglo opened up, you know, for me, there were new holes. You know, we didn't have the whole five and six that we played this year. Um, hole nine was different back when I played it. 10 was different when I played it. And so there's just so many cool, like for me, the course is a bomber fest, but I actually super, super enjoyed playing that course um, because of all the changes to it. So I could see how like the repetition of it over and over and over. But like you're saying, yeah, if you're an amateur and you're going out to this, you know, event in this big area, once again, yeah, you kind of want to showcase your skills maybe on a different course or have a little bit more variety, which I understand. But I don't know. Yeah, I mean, to bring it all back into how this discussion came was from changing t- uh, tee pads or baskets yeah. around. Yeah. What, what you said about Deagle is exactly it. Like, you like seeing small changes. If a you get to a new course, and even if it's per round, you know, rounds one and two are this, three and four are this, or one and four, whatever the combination is, um, that can keep it so fresh for both the players, learning a new challenge, uh, having something new to it, but yeah, the drive's the same. You know when you're walking from mm-hmm. uh, hole four to hole five, you know where it is and you feel comfortable. And it just, it it's, when you're playing a new event every week, you don't need to learn a, a whole new course. Yeah. When you have some uh, things, you know, Paul, I'm sure he, he could tell you right now what his bag will look like for each event during the season. Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, two, three discs will change or something. Yeah. He, he can know that because he's been on tour for so long. Mm-hmm. And that's so crucial when you're playing week in and week out yeah. every single week. And it's a total grind. Yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, every single year, new events are going to come onto the schedule and old events are going to drop off. I mean, this year, one of the most notable ones that we are playing this year, I would say is the open in Austin, you know, and that's courses. Yeah. Maybe some pros way back in the day played a tournament there. I'm, I'm not hundred percent sure, but let's say I go and play that this year. That's going to be a completely new tournament to me which a lot of tournaments this year, there was a lot of new ones. Like Deeglow was a new one for me just for how much the course changed. Um, Belton was new to me, Tallahassee, Beaver State Fling. I mean, there's a ton of them that were new. And for me, that's fun. Like, I actually enjoy playing new courses. If I was a touring pro, I wouldn't want that to happen week in and week out, which fortunately for a lot of these players, it, it does not happen. Every so often they'll get a new event or somewhere that they have to play and learn. But for the most part, a lot of these players have been playing for so long that, yeah, like you said, they have been playing these events over and over and over and not too, too much has changed. I mean, look how much there's still some changes that could be had, but look how much Maple Hill has changed since 2016. I mean, hole one's completely different. Three's completely different. Um, Fourteen's completely different. Ten feels like it changes every single year. So, 
I don't know. Yeah. No, it's been the same the last couple of years, but for a while, 10 was yeah. like, oh, let's put the T-pad right here. Oh, no, now this year we're going to put it way over here, and it's a par 4. Oh, no, we're going to go back to a par 3, but it's over here, and now it's, you know, so. Yeah. I don't know. Well, it, as the tour kind of matures, too, and these new events that come up, like next year, we're seeing, uh, I guess, Rochester. I don't know much about mm-hmm. it, but my point kind of came from Dismania uh, this Open out in PEI, it, we've seen this course for years for Canadian nationals um, and I maybe a few other events that aren't quite Canadian uh, nationals, but you, you see the courses um, uh, Missoula, it's the zoo town open that's mm-hmm. coming up central coast filmed that for years. So it's a uh, tournament that's new to the tour, but if a player has been hitting small events in between tour events, they might know it. If they haven't, it's something that has a lot of documentation and you can go on YouTube and watch it. Other players will know it and they can kind of give you their feelings on it. And it's not going to be like total brand new to everyone there. Mm-hmm. And it's a, a, like, you don't even know what you're walking into. You get the kind of sense of it, which is a good thing. You know, it keeps it fresh for everyone, but at the same time, it, it's not you, walking to something completely new. It's like, you might not get the best out mm-hmm. of it. No, definitely. Ben, any thoughts on anything we've been talking about the last few minutes? No, uh, you guys covered the bases. I just interject when I think I have something to say. Other than that, I uh, do my thing. There you go. Well, everybody, yeah. I know this is a little bit more of a short episode. We'll no bring you. Fiction? What's that? Do no we have Satter Fiction? Yeah. Oh, we got Satter Fiction. Oh, I didn't know if you actually did let's one. Go. I, yeah. All right. We got Satter Fiction. <laughs> I didn't know you had right, one. Let's set get up. into that. Three, two. No, all good. Oh, also, I. Oh, go ahead. Bad. Oh, you're good. <laughs> There's two of me now. Yeah, I'm playing against myself. <laughs> what is this? Um, that's kind of wild. Yeah, I don't know if I can deal with well, this. Well, wait, no, and I, I, well, I found ben, the real bud. While uh, while Ben is fixing that really quick, um, does yeah. anyone does anyone want to, want to tell the chat what we did the day after Thanksgiving? Oh my goodness, Ben's been chatting oh, I, about I, it a little bit, but I know Evan Evan's pretty stoked. Well, okay. So Ben, I think it was last episode. Maybe it was a couple episodes ago. He was just feeling all high and mighty and was just like, you know, I beat Evan at back-to-back tournaments at Meadowbrook. Oh man, Ben, that's not it. All three. Uh, but Ben was feeling, Ben was feeling a little cocky. And he's like, when we were bringing the the pro tour, a double G craft jerky uh, kind of point series to the course, he's like, yeah, any place, anywhere. Like I'm going to catch up to Evan just four mm-hmm. points behind. Yep. I don't want to spoil too much. Cause it's, uh, I, it's coming out on post-production, but it was pretty spectacular to watch ben's uh, i'll say just your putting skills no I i'll say up. everything else was fantastic as of course no guys I've, I, I, I've been i've been having struggles with with my my form as of late you know it's like it's like peaks and valleys i mm-hmm. get up high really and then i get to this plateau and then i'm like oh should i try this should i try that try it? and then i go down a little bit it's like two steps forward so that video was in my one step back phase but i actually Played a couple rounds today and I was feeling good and kind of tweaked some things. Work, worked on. I don't know. Uh, Maybe you're just not good when the pressure is on and no. real points Evan, are I, up. I, how many tournaments have you won, Evan? Okay, that's true. No, we're, not, we're not talking about pressure. We're talking about but, like camera pressure. You fell to yeah, the camera pressure. Yeah, that's what I'm getting no. at. Yeah, oh, you fell okay. to the camera pressure. No, because, no I'm saying because or last time I played pretty well on camera. Like I totally. 
I'm like throwing that. this stat out again. Again, I used it before on the show. People are going to remember it, but Ben has yet to, yet to beat me in any tournament that's not at Meadowbrook. Meadowbrook suits up well for Ben. You know, it's a good course for him. Oh, it's uh, I'll admit, I did get okay, beat so there Evan, pretty what good. What other tournaments have we played, Kearns? Is this oh, like, like how many at Cogs? Mountainside? Do I got to bring up Mountainside? One Mountainside, one at Cogs. So no, we've done multiple at Cogs, have we not? No, we have played one together at Cogs. One? That's no, we played two. We've definitely done no. two. We did one together you and would one. Like not to bring together, it up, and then it's uh, like a fifty-fifty. Well, we I can don't think it's quite that. that later but let's on, bring it into yeah, stat or fiction. Let's bring it back to stat or okay, fiction. Okay, let's go. Yeah. Okay, give me oh, at least if it was like second. opposite, if I was one screen was looking this way and then one screen was looking this way, it'd give me be one a little bit second. better. Man, all right, but let's look. Give me one more second. Ahead, I, in the I mean, chat. Evan, you can start it up. Give us, you start it up. All right, uh, we'll, we'll get into yeah. it and then maybe we'll have things looking good by the time we finish it. All right, I got it now. I got it now. Don't you worry. Stop all right, do we need to play Here the intro? Go. Are you going to play the <laughs> Let's go. We got the visuals working. Ben, you just need to reset the scores. Yep. Unless you want to start 3-3, three, three, it is even. Uh, but everything looks good here. I'm going to get into the first question, mm -hmm. or first statement as you fix that, Ben. Stat or fiction number one. Dave Feldberg has played the most majors in MPO. Dave Feldberg has played the most majors in MPO out of any player in MPO. Stat. Played the most majors? Played the most majors in MPO. Fiction. All right. Where's your points, Ben? Uh, it's just not working. Uh, for some reason, the... Oh, right here. Guest points. Never mind. I see them. For some reason, the... It was uh, on Matt's. Okay, here we go. All right, nice. That's looking good. Oh, and sorry. that was a quick one. The answer oh, is fiction. Let's go. Let's get Ben some points. Uh, Dave Philberg has 62 major starts in MPO. The only player with more. Nick, you're going to know it right away, but Avery Jenkins was 63. Really? Yep. Wow. Dang. Uh, Ken Climo has 55. I thought that. Uh, you know, of course, a bunch of other players have a bunch of other majors. All right. Stat or fiction number two. Paul Macbeth has more MPO major podiums than Calvin Heinberg and Kevin Jones have MPO major starts combined. Say it again. Paul Macbeth has more MPO major podiums total in his career, MPO majors. Yep. Than Calvin Heinberg and Kevin Jones have MPO majors have starts in MPO majors combined. Jeez. Paul Macbeth has more podiums than Heimberg and Jones have starts combined at MPO majors. Is it me? Yep. This is the odds of this are against stat, but I'm going to go stat. That's what I'm going to say. Stat. All right. This is stat Ooh. it feels so much quicker with two people yeah it's i know like, right? i'm well, just Matt, Matt, Matt doesn't know this. what the 30 second rule is on the clock so 
Yeah, maybe, yeah, just a matless statter fiction is flying by. But that is a stat. Um, oh, no, I didn't pull the numbers for this. Uh, I want to say... <laughs> Well, I'm going to try to find it real quick. This is killing me. I think, I'm pretty sure Paul McBeth's at 48, or is he 48 starts? I'm going to find this I so think quickly. For, no, it's 28. Excuse me. Whoa. Okay. He has 47 starts, but he has 28 podiums, and I know it was one less for Heimberg and Jones, uh, and so uh, they were at 14 and 13, respectively, with Heimberg at 14 and Jones at 13. All right. Stat or fiction number three with Ben with a one point lead Ooh. over Nick. Ooh. Bring it up. Ben's favorite player. Ganimber has the least amount of MPO major top 20s for any player that has won an MPO major. For an MPO major winner. One more time. So of all the people who have won an ma- MPO major, Ganimber has the least amount of top 20s in majors. And that is for their entire career, not at the time that they won. Just if they won at any point, oh, and then how many total like top twenties? The, the least, the least amount of top tens. You're saying? Ganneber has the least or fewest. It might be yeah. fewest. I'm, I'm gonna, not a grammar. Guy. I'm gonna say fiction. All right. Um, I could say fiction to uh, to easily solidify it. Yeah, we know. <laughs> But in my heart, I felt it was a stat. Oh, man. Going against your boy, man. Uh, this what? is... I thought it's for him. Oh, okay. I guess it depends on how you look at it. But this is... Fiction. Whoa. Tying it up. Uh, Ganimber has four top 20s. There's only one player with fewer? Mm-hmm. Okay, fewer, yes. Learning, learning uh, English every day. Uh, Jeff Watson with two. Um, let me actually. Uh, what era? Me, making me really work here. Um, top twenties. Jeff Watson. Uh, his last event he played was in two thousand seven. His last major was two thousand six. What did he win? But he won the nineteen eighty three World Champions. Well, you know, nice. Neither memorize my world championships. Yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah. What's that? Oh, it's me. Oh my goodness, it's MPM. It was throwing me off. I'm like, he has three top twenties. Like, what was wrong? But no, he has one top ten in masters and two in MPO. I was so worried there that I messed something up again. Is that Masters? MPM. Yeah, Mixed Pro Masters. Mixed Pro Masters. Well, that brings us into a playoff. Yeah. Playoffs. Let's go. Team USA playing on Friday, by the way. Go USA against Edon. Let's go Buffs. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's not talk about the Buffs in football. Uh, Bring it back to Dave Felberg. He has 62 starts. I want you guys... To tell me how many podiums he has and again this is uh just whoever's the closest give me a number uh no prices right rules as i gotta say every single time you can be higher or you lower just whoever's closest how many podiums at mpo majors does dave felberg have in his career oh geez yeah 62 starts Thirty. You play the music <laughs> 
30. I'm going to go with 24. All right. The answer is 17. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, props to you. I mean, he was a great player. Yeah. Uh, 30 uh, podiums is more than <laughs> anyone has uh, in MPO ever. Um, and 24 would be the third best. I guess I wasn't too far off. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul McBeth has 28. That's the most of anyone in MPO. Climo has 26. Waisaki has 21. Uh, Felberg's in fourth with 17. Darn it. I could have easily won that. What am I thinking? You could have easily won that. You, you technically could have won it, yeah. I. Oh, my goodness. You, yeah. you could have uh, did honor. pulled some unfair gamesmanship and uh, done fiction on the final <sighs> one. Honor. But props mm-hmm. to you going honorable and sticking to what you thought it was. Uh, but Nick with the comeback. You know, it happens. I got that clutch gene. Unlike Ben's putting. Unlike Ben's video putting. Okay, guys. Seriously, on a real note, please, someone give me putting tips. I've been working really hard and doing like 300 putts. Nick was literally what? giving I, you putting I tips. I literally told you that's not enough putts. And what do you keep saying you're doing is not enough day. putts. That's Th- not that's enough lot, putts. Though. Though. Better. In the basket. That's still a lot. How far are you putting from? 30 feet. That's also not good. Yeah, I literally told you. I said if you did 500 putts a day from 20 feet, you would be the best, okay, one of the best putters in Massachusetts. Like you said, I just like I can't. I have a problem with lofting it. I just bullet straight at it. I don't so, know why. So what do you do then if you have a problem with something? Basket. Practice. There you go. Why aren't you practicing, practicing it? I haven't. <laughs> no, you haven't. You're going to 30 feet where you don't loft your putter. <laughs> Ben's the kind of guy who he's like, I got to practice disc golf every day. And then all he does is go to the field and try to throw 450 feet. Guys, every listen, I played two rounds uh, today yeah. and Which it worked out. Ben's incredible. He's gotten um, the distance. For, he's good. All for disc golf. I love you, disc golf. You, you practice way more than I do because yeah, I, I, so I don't hard really practice and, that and much. And I'm still, it's still not clicking. I'll get well, there. You can, you can practice every single day. Like I could practice playing the piano with my left hand playing the right hand, my right hand playing the left hand. But guess what? That's not going to bring me anywhere. I could practice 50 hours a week and I'm not going to be a good piano player because of that. If you are practicing bad habits and not practicing the correct way. But how do then, I know it's the correct way when I'm a 893 boy? Because I literally told you how to practice. <laughs> no, I'm, like, not, I'm I literally about gave pra- you. I literally gave you tips and said, like, hey, if you want to, if like, and I'll say this to everyone right now. Sorry. Like, I'm not the most incredible putter in the world, but I would say I'm a pretty damn good one. And especially, you know, during during the season, I was an incredible putter. And most of the time, what I did every single night was I would do about 500 putts from 20 feet. And I would just practice those, practice those, practice those. And when I felt like they were just going in pretty much every single time, I was making 9 out of 10 or 10 out of 10 every single time. All right, now for my next few hundred that I'm going to do, I'll take some step putts. I'll do some 30-footers. I'll mess around with some straddles from 28 feet. But that's personally how I got better at putting was to mainly focus on 20-footers. And I'll equate it to basketball. It's like shooting a free throw. Yeah. Steph Curry is arguably the greatest three-point shooter ever in the history of the NBA. And he's also one of the most incredible free-throw shooters. And I could tell you he spends not just as much time, but almost just as much time practicing his free-throws as he probably does shooting his three-pointers. Yeah. I was definitely form-focused. I was I have, I was form-focused and distance-focused. 
I, I got that. Everyone's pretty impressed how quickly I can throw far, yada, yada, yada. But now I am lopsided. Well, okay. But Ben, like you, you like analyze your distance form yes. nonstop and you're non-stop. like, you find the smallest thing and then you got to go to the field yes. and figure it out. Yes. And you're always going to have those small things come up and it's good to try to figure it out. But you also got to get good at putting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we play a course in the woods and you're still trying to throw 450 feet at a 300 foot basket. Yeah, we're we're uh, sitting what was at hole 13 at Cogshaw, and Ben's like, it's like a 250 foot hole. And Ben's like, am I supposed to throw this 120 percent on this hole? And I'm like, no, this yeah, is where I gotta work on. This yeah. is where you need something called finesse. This is no uh, one, no one can see what you're doing. Okay, up. 100 gigabytes of 100 gigabytes are taken up, and it's all of me filming my form. I'm obsessed. But I'm bad at putting. Now Just you gotta learn. Putting. So, so you know. So Kevin, actually, today, Kevin, today, Kevin. tell tell me if this 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 is a, today. I focused on obviously holding this in place, but I focused on turning, striding away, and turning my body back more, and it actually really helped with my distance. Like I was getting a lot more power by kind of turning back and then whipping it my shoulders forward and it and I was pretty accurate so it felt good I think well yeah if you I mean if you see some of the best distance throwers in the world they turn around completely in a 360 to throw far no but well, it doesn't mean say- it doesn't mean they're gonna do that in the woods when you no, need I'm it the just, most I'm just saying like I, I focus on how my shoulders back more and instead I don't know I, I was so yeah. focused on keeping this in place that I would just like stride and lo- it felt like I was losing all my power because I wouldn't like turn my body back and then rip it through I would just like hold the disc there I don't know. Just what it is. Yep. Guys, we need to make a uh, little series called Intern Ben. Um, how's he doing? Well, we need to make a video. <laughs> Actually, Matt, Matt brought it up in the chat earlier. We did a video last year or two years ago. It was called Augmented. No, it might have been two or three years ago, actually. Augmented Reality, where Matt and I went out to a field, and we had this really cool, like, you throw accuracy shots. We did some distance shots. We did, I think we did putting games. But um, I don't know, it was a really cool video that when Matt's back in time, we'll have to. Yeah, we got to do we'll make some, some sort of challenge. Yeah. We got to do like a putting competition. Like uh, it's like that's something where you and Matt would be an exciting matchup. Mm-hmm. I'll come in third by a mile and then we'll have uh, um, a distance by, comp- by a mile. <laughs> Whoa, I, wasn't, I wasn't implying Guys, that. Uh, it's, uh, listen, it is yeah. over once I get good at putting. It's it's like but over. I'm like, then we can I'm have a distance competition and I'll come no, in last. Ben, ben I'm going to you really quick. I saw some of your drives in the woods. Believe me, it won't be over when you get okay, good at okay. putting. It, it'll be, I'll be way better. <laughs> it won't be over. Okay, I did bad at Cox. <laughs> I did really bad at Cox, but today I felt really good. I figured out what I think. I, I think the last time we went to Meadowbrook, too, I think I won that one. Evans probably got the stats somewhere way deep down yes oh, well, <sighs> nick you are I, okay the funny rated. thing is you are if we're talking about meadowbrook me. huh when i play when i play casual rounds with ben i honestly think we're about 50 50 there i really oh, meadowbrook uh yeah okay, actually remember everyone, we go that? to my pdga and go to the jeffrey cranston memorial cranston memorial and see where evan finished and see where i finished oh it was so bad come on now. yeah i'm not arguing that yeah. one but I, I blew it because I was trying to run that putt, but I had you there. If I laid up, I would have had you. In that and then Evan stuff. obliterated me in the video that's about to release, so it, it, it all yeah. evens out. Evan, yeah. Evan played great that day. He, so. did, he played really great. I did. Anyways, play great. 
well, to everyone yeah. to everyone hanging out with us on this lovely Monday night. Thank you so much. I know it wasn't the most exciting episode in the world like we normally do. Um, that's just right now off-season content with Matt traveling. Um, this was a little bit put together quickly, which we apologize on our end for that. But at the same time, we still do want to be able to talk disc golf with everyone. Everyone that was in the chat tonight, thank you so much for at least comp- commenting and being engaged with us. It, it really does. We are thankful for you. Um, I hope everyone had an incredible thank- Thanksgiving. Thank you to everyone tuning in. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms. Check us out on YouTube. Shout out to Silas Schultz, great touring professional. He just recently Let's subscribed go. to the Nick and Matt show. So get onto YouTube, subscribe to the Nick and Matt show. Check us out on all your favorite podcast platforms. Be engaged with us on Monday nights. Um, we're definitely going to get a guest for next week. I've already got some in the works right now. We're going to try to figure it out. But anyways, tell someone you love them this week. We'll catch you in the next one. Nick, you're awesome. Ben, you're awesome. Evan, you're awesome. Peace. Adios. The Nick and Matt Show, a disc golf podcast designed for you, the disc golfer. Find the Nick and Matt Show on your favorite podcast platforms or join the conversation live on YouTube.